Hello, and welcome to the Free Music Ed Podcast. My name is Steven. My name's Gannon. My name's Dylan. You said it louder than us. Yeah, I was trying. I I can see it on the sound waves over there. Always showboating. Oh, man. (laughs) Well, let's see. This week, we are talking about uh, what rote teaching is. We're going to be talking some about the Kodai method mm-hmm. uh, and the Suzuki method of teaching. Now, these things are not all the same thing, but they have some shared elements that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, and, you know, this was like the funnest thing to research ever. Really? Ever. Oh. Ever. Wow. Ever. ever. More ever. fun than researching new recipes for Grandma's Christmas special. That's true. That was fun. That was the worst TV show I'd ever seen, too. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Grandma's Christmas special. Oh, Grandma's. gosh. It's true. Okay, so... Spent the whole time just trying to find where the volume button on the remote was. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, hey, hey, did you... Did, did any of the old people in your family or nearby relatives ever get those headsets they could plug into the TV? Like, they went in the back, and then they had, like, extra headphones so they could have the volume on and have headphones on? Oh, my gosh. No. That's, no, that's insane. Maybe it was just me. Yeah, it must be just your dad. My, my, no, my, uh, <laughs> my, my grandparents, both of them, were so deaf when they got old. Were both my grandfathers. Deaf? No, they were just generally deaf. They were not deaf. tone deaf. No. <laughs> That's good, because, you know, I didn't mention in the last podcast, but tone deafness can be hereditary. Oh, really? There are oh. hereditary links. Hey, well, so there, there's, some, uh, there's some added stuff. Yeah. So if you find a hereditary link on the internet, don't click it. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Well, there you go. Okay. Next. Uh, Rote teaching. Oh, yeah. How do you spell that? R-O-T-E. R-O-T-E. Yes. Do you really? Uh Uh-huh. How have I never known that? How how were you spelling it? I I don't know. I've never spelled it before. Did you have rot teaching? Or like wrote, like you wrote it down? I always learned it by rote, so I don't know how to write it. You just learned it by rote. Ah, That's true. That's scary. So rote, uh, defined by Webster's Dictionary, is the sound that a waterfall makes when it's cresting over the edge of a cliff. Unfortunately, I learned quickly in my research that that was the wrong definition for this podcast. (laughs) That's, That's really a definition for the word rote? Yeah. Really? Yeah. The sound water makes going over a waterfall. Yeah, it's like a, a waterfall sound. It's called rope. I, it doesn't really... I mean, I don't hear a waterfall and go, oh. Rope, 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 Who's the tone-deaf comics? Tone-deaf comics, you need to do one where it's this guy learning music by rote, and he's just sitting by a waterfall trying to play a clarinet and sound like an ocean. I hope I'm right about that. I think it said waterfall. I okay. just glanced over that at uh, one point. How many other things could it be? I don't like know. The, bisons. And... The, the, sound, the sound a bison makes whenever they stampede over a cliff. It crests over the top of the <laughs> yeah. over the top of Just go watch Lion King, and you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's right. Oh, man. That's great. Uh, yeah, or the sound that's made when you're writing, like you know, like with that squeaky pencil lead. Mm-hmm. Like that could be wrote. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. It's like a because you because you you wrote when the sound was made. Oh, There's a weird right? time shift going on there. You're like speaking in present and past tense at the same time. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wrote-ing right now. Okay, right, so doctor. For for okay, when it comes to musical training, wrote. Okay, when it comes to musical training, wrote. What do you think that is? Uh, I think that would be where you're basically teaching, like, okay, do it like this, and then you do it, and then they do it like that. And you're okay, okay, now do this, and you do it, and then they do it, where it's copycatting. Okay, well, what do you think? Learning by ear. Mm-hmm. Just to put it straight simply, learning by ear. That's what most people say, is learning by ear, and that's not totally what it is, not really what it is. That's um, kind of leans more towards the Suzuki method, mm-hmm. actually. 
it is learning by ear, but it's more mechanical than that. Mechanical is a great word for rote teaching. <laughs> it's it's kind of what Stephen described. It's um, it's very instructional. It's very step by step. It's it's something where you have an instructor saying, "Here's how this goes. Let's do that." Now, you 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 talk about outside of music. What rote learning is and rote teaching is is repetition. It's all about repetition. It's real popular in math um, and in some other subjects too. But math, I, the math keeps coming up when I was looking up rote, and you know, it's just repetition, repetition, repetition. Learning your multiplication tables and junk like that until. Um, you just have it memorized simply through the, that repetition. Yeah, yeah. So when whenever you're saying that every single day inside of my fourth grade math class, we are doing the times tables. We go through them every one. We practice them. We do them with flashcards. We do them over and over and over and over again so that they are like burned into my mind with a high-powered laser. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you can learn by rote with paper that has the information on it. Yes, Um but the the difference by doing that in music is that in music you're taking the information from the paper, mm-hmm. and rote teaching doesn't really involve that. Rote teaching is more having it given to you um, by a teacher or something, or having it shown. I guess is a better way of putting that. Having somebody show you, here's how you do this. You put your fingers here. You play these notes here. Now do this, mm-hmm. and they do it, and then do it again. Okay, do it again. It's that. It's the, kind of that common repetition, you know, like the way we teach. Um, scales at a younger age and stuff like that. It's like, okay, here's how your B-flat scale goes. Play these notes. Okay, and then you add more notes on until you have an entire scale, you know. Um, that's one way people teach scales, and that would be like a good example of rote teaching. Well, and so when you're looking at rote teaching, you've kind of got uh, two sides to this. One way is like uh, the negative way, where like let's say you've got a, a high school band and they can't read their parts at all, and you just sit there and work out every single part for them like that. That type of rote teaching is terrible because it's incredibly inefficient Mm -hmm. at that type of level. However, rote teaching uh, for a beginning student is really valuable. I was reading a book lately because I'm trying to learn how to draw better, right? And in this book, the guy right at the beginning, he, uh, I'll link to this because I forgot to bring the book with me and I forgot what it was called. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's like a 30-day book with a bunch of exercises. It's really great. Uh But he says in there, people complain about what I do because I have people take and draw, like I draw a shape and they draw the same shape I was drawing. And I produce a drawing and they produce the same drawing I was doing. And they say, you're not letting kids be creative because they're just doing the same things you're doing. And he always says, look, when you learned how to, you know, like do the alphabet and learn how to spell, they weren't like, here's some paper, learn how to write. They were like, hey, here's a W, here's what sound it makes. They were giving you tools to use. Mm -hmm. And so rote teaching is a way to present some type of mechanical skill to students and give them the skills so that they can then take those to those next levels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, which, you know, I was doing a lot of reading on some more editorial slash opinionated articles about rote teaching and music. And it seems that the general consensus is that at a younger age, it's incredibly useful for working out some of those mechanical things um, and theory things that kids really aren't going to understand yet. And it's just quicker just to flump for speed's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with it, and you know, we're going to talk about the value of rote teaching, is that when you get into more advanced concepts or even the same concepts, at some point they've got to get to a point where they can create those things themselves and they can actually understand them and how they're used. I mean, we talk about just the scale. Um, There's a great little article I found, uh, Sinfully Cincinnati, like sin, fully, and then the city Cincinnati, that's two N's. Uh 
Well, actually, there's three ends in the word, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. One T. Um, so, simply... <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I spell... SinfullyCincinnati.wordpress.com. It's this clarinet player of all things. He, he writes... Oh, clarinet players. Oh, oh dear God. Blogs and oh. articles and, you know, he, he does this kind of One stuff. One of those kinds. Yeah, but he has an article on rote teaching that's really kind of neat. He's, he's just been thinking about it really, really hard. And he says this thing there. He says... I don't know how many times I've had I've gotten a new student in private lessons that can play all their scales, but they have no clue how to a construct them, b know their origin and relationship to other scales, c know their key signatures, or d know any systematic approach to figure out how the scales on their own. Uh, sorry, d know any systematic approach to figure out the scales on their own without the aid of a teacher or a scale sheet. Hey, what what mm-hmm. site is this? That is simply cincinnati.wordpress.com. Yeah. Okay, good. And that, that's in his article. He's, what, what he kind of gets into is like, okay, it teaches them how to do it, but then they're not being immersed in the sense of understanding, of, of creating within. Everything's being fed to them, and, and you're, you're missing that entire aspect of the truly understanding the music and why it exists instead of mm-hmm. just mechanically reading, repeating back like a robot, you know? Yeah. is That would be like the idea uh, that you can sit and you can, you know, you can write all these words and things, but you can't put them together in a really meaningful way. You mm-hmm. know, that you have the mechanical principles of being a writer, but you don't have the connective tissue between all of that to be a significant writer. Yeah. And, you know, it kind of got me thinking about just our music education in general, like, uh, you know, we're here we are in Texas, but kind of the way it is across the country, you know, we, we have these pieces of music in our band classes that we uh, kind of one way or another end up rote teaching to these kids for contests, you know, now some directors do this more than others. I've seen directors who just, that's all they do is rote teach this mm-hmm. stuff. And so sure enough, you have this room of kids who can play those three pieces of music and nothing else, mm-hmm. you know, and and it's really important as educators not to get them to just be able to play these sheets of music that you throw in front of them mechanically, but they've got to have this other foundation underneath of understanding what they're playing and why they're playing and how it fits in the realm of music and, you know, all that big uh, uh, metaphysical mm-hmm. stuff. The the other side of that, though, is where you can very easily, if you approach this wrong, have a crippled student, basically, where they just they can do the things that you've taught them by rote, but they don't know how to apply those skills to other types of things. They're called musically disadvantaged, oh, not, not crippled. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, um, so... Uh, PC. Yeah, right. That was that was great. That was you, you. You ruined everything I was saying. Let's just end the podcast now. Uh, so, if you take and uh, if you have students that you're trying to explain things to, like reading music is hard. Like just reading music is difficult. Yep. Uh, there's lots of lines and dots and things. And if a student doesn't know how to play the instrument, and you're trying to teach them how to read music at the same time, that's ridiculous. Like what you're expecting that student to do. And that's one of the reasons that there's gaps in understanding is that they're trying to learn these two completely separate things integrated at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where rote teaching a student to be able to play their instrument and be able to play songs and be able to produce good tones and all these things. And then adding reading music onto that can actually enhance what we were talking about before, enhance that understanding. Mm-hmm. So if students get where they can play their instrument really well and then you're adding reading notation, 
well, then you can do much more complicated things in terms of what you want them to be able to read because they have this foundation of being able to play. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Which gets a little bit into some of these other methods we're going to talk about and mm-hmm. the reason why rote teaching is important to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you researched Kodai. Yeah, and that's exactly what you're saying right now is what Kodai gets into <clears throat> because it... Um, well, the big approaches Kodai had... Um, What's his first name? Something Kadai. It's really weird in German. David. David Kadai. No. no. <laughs> uh, I looked it up and I had it on my phone and I think I closed that page. Zoltan. Oh, that's Zoltan. It. Yeah, duh. Zoltan Kadai. And it's that. spelled K O D A L Y. Kadali is what it looks like, but you pronounce it Kadai. Um, one of the big approaches he had, and he developed all this around the turn of the 20th century, was um, exactly what you're talking about in teaching by rote and making a systematic approach to teaching. Music where you learn um, how to sing it first, or learn how to play it, or whatever. Then you learn the notation. Then you learn the theory. And that's kind of Kadai's approach is to go in that order, and so that way the student's not overwhelmed. And he's talking second, third, fourth grade, or even younger in the kinder music, um, which was developed around the same time. If I'm not mistaken, I might be mistaken. I'm sorry, somebody out there, if I'm mistaken. Please, elementary music <clears throat> teachers, contact us. Please send an email to... <laughs> uh, wait, freemusiced at gmail.com. Yeah, yeah or, I got that one. All right. Yeah, Kara Stephen Cox. Now the... <laughs> um, but one of the big things I want to talk about with Kadai, because Kadai is what most people model their elementary music teaching around nowadays, and they don't even call it Kadai anymore. Um, it's the concept of moving with music, and so you don't just teach the kid how to sing a song. You teach them how to move with the song while singing the song and feel the beat and that kind of stuff. Kinesthetic education. Kinesthetic education was a big wow. thing that Kadai was into. Yes. There's, there's um, a word of the podcast. That's right. Brought to you by kinesthetic education. Kinesthetic. And the number five. Okay. The, um, but a big thing that Kadai was into that I'm also... Back up. Something that Kadai did that I'm sure you're familiar with. You, um, you, most people have heard solfege, especially if you've seen The Sound of Music, Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti, Do. Um, what Kadai, not in those pitches. Not in those pitches. <laughs> That's the tone-deaf version. Listen to the last podcast. Now, the, <laughs> um, what Kadai developed is the hand signs that go with it, where Do is a fist, Re is this crooked hand, Mi is a straight hand, Fa is the thumb, yeah. So is... You know, so on and so forth. You can look them up online. It looks like sign language. Um, And it's part of that motion with singing thing that he was teaching, do, re, mi, fa, so, so that kids associate motions with pitch. And what's really weird is if you ever learn how to do those solfege symbols and things, it really does help you sing the right notes Mm -hmm. in some really weird way. I don't understand it. Yeah. Uh, I'm, that's why I'm not a choral director. Yeah, you don't understand a lot of things, though. So. <laughs> it's true. Oh, clarinet player. <laughs> that's now right. the, okay. And that's the... Like it's, it's the whole thing of connecting <laughs> connecting your ear with your motion. Is the more, the more senses you connect together, the more understanding you have of those senses, or of what you're doing. Um, a deeper connection of it. But the big thing I want to talk about with Kadai is um, rhythm association, because he's one of the first people that did that. Okay, so rhythm association is what? It's, um, with a rhythm, putting a word or a phrase or something to it so that the rhythm is easy to understand, or easier to understand. Oh, like your drum teacher used to do. Exactly. Um, Todd Ukenna, my first teacher, um, he taught me, instead of learning how to read music up front and that kind of stuff with drums, the first thing he taught me was Kawasaki Honda. Of course, you're already laughing, but... 
the Kawasaki Honda, he would teach me across the drum set, Kawasaki Honda, Kawasaki Honda, Kawasaki, Kawasaki, Kawasaki Honda. And so that was the first thing I ever learned on drums. And those are 16th notes 16th, 8th note patterns. And 18th, 18th 18th notes. note patterns. No. Not <laughs> great. What are you talking about? It's a semi-demi-quaver pattern. The, uh... <laughs> Those were real things. It's, it's, the, it's the British. Thing. Okay, they're but, weird. Uh, yeah, sixteenth so, notes and eighth notes. And then um, Kawasaki. Kawasaki. Pardon me. Vroom, 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 okay. Yeah. And then we would have different rhythms like Yamaha, Yamaha, Kickstarter, Kickstarter, and then Suzuki, Suzuki. And then when I was in seventh yeah. grade, we actually Suzuki. learned five lits um, with Harley Davidson, Harley Davidson, Harley Davidson, and we could do five lits with them. Um, now, a lot of people use a lot of different word association, and in fact, when you get into Suzuki, you'll probably talk a little bit about it, I guess, maybe? Hmm? No. Uh, but I, <laughs> no. I, can, I can think of some of the ones that I've been taught, like for five-lits, when I was in college, university. University yeah. one? I've heard hippopotamus. Ooh. That's another one I've heard. Um, the ones Kadai used were, were totally whack. They were wiggity-whack, yo. Um, wow. <laughs> wiggity-whack, wiggity-whack, it was yo, very yo, yo. Mini wiggities. The all, all the wiggities I can muster. Oh, the, <laughs> too much wiggity. Going too much on. wiggity in here. He he didn't actually use words. He just used syllables. And you hear if you listen to elementary music, this is one of the things they use from Kadai that you've heard before and not realize it's Kadai because your quarter notes are ta and your eighth notes are t. Ah, yes. So you can go ta t t ta t t t t ta t t ta, and you teach eighth notes like that. Then there's different patterns like your sixteenth notes are tika tika. Tika tika ti ti ta ta. Um, and if you're doing half notes and whole notes, you use ta and you pulse the ah. Um, mm. It gets into weird combinations like you get tika ti, tika ti, ti, tika ti, tika, stuff like that. His, um, instead of Suzuki, Suzuki, that's the one I learned, he uses sinkum pa. Is it sinko pa, sinko pa, sinko pa? It's really goofy. Um, mm. I think people, um, this is just my assumption, there wasn't a whole lot about it. But people took that from just random syllables and just began to put words to it. Um, and I've seen a thousand different words. I even, doing some research, found a whole thread of somebody saying, hey, this is the words I use for twinkle, twinkle, little star. You know which ones I use? I use these. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. <laughs> That's what I was thinking during the third, but someone's like, apple, apple, pineapple, apple, apple, pineapple. And somebody else was like, I use these words. Something, something, you McGregor, blah, 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 blah. I don't know what it was, but he, uh, <laughs> you and McGregor, yes. Spider-Man. Spider-Man, Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, yeah, but they, yeah, it's just the word association to teach the rhythms is, is the concept behind it. And I'm a big believer and doing that, because um, I was able to play high school level rhythms as a sixth grader. Now, could I read them? Not yet. And I did learn how to read them, and he taught me how to read them later on. Um, but I was able to play the music before I read the music. And that's, that was a big thing that I enjoyed from my education. And that's super, super handy to be able to teach those advanced concepts early on and get the kids, like, for percussion, just to start building those reflexes mm -hmm. so that when you do understand them, that you have the muscles in your hands to actually do it. Mm -hmm. You have that skill set. So let's talk Suzuki for a minute. You cannot have been inside of music education for very long and not heard reference to Suzuki because it's a big deal. Okay? Uh it was invented, this method, by a man named Shinikai Suzuki. No way. That's right. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's named after him, the Suzuki method. Although he called it something else. Uh, he would call it the mother tongue method. Because Ooh. you're going to learn to play music like you learn to speak your native language. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, that's why he called it the mother tongue language. Uh, sorry, method. Mm-hmm. Mother tongue language. Well, wow. uh, he <laughs> was a Japanese man who was born in 1898, and his father owned a violin factory. Okay, so one day he's like listening to a recording by Misha Elman mm-hmm. of Schubert's Ave Maria, and he goes, "Wait." You can make crazy good music with violins? I thought they were toys. You know, there's reports that he would like sword fight with bows in the violin factory. Because for him, violins were a product that his dad made that got shipped off, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. You know. Uh, So when he's 17, he takes home a uh, violin and he teaches himself how to play, right? He practices, figures it out. He listens to recordings and tries to imitate them. And he got to be pretty good. You can find some YouTube recordings of him. And he was, you know, an acclaimed violinist, uh, as well as an incredibly famous teacher. Mm-hmm. So, uh, basically, throughout his life, he begins developing this method for teaching students that becomes the most widely used method for teaching instruments pretty much in the world. Pretty much or totally much? Totally much. It's, it's, many people say that it's the most used method for teaching music in the world. Many people. Many people. Does everybody say that? I, I have met one or two people that did not. I'm trying to get you to make like... You want a definitive statement? Definitive Suzuki statement. Suzuki is the most used method for teaching an instrument in the entire universe. You, you, can, your, you can direct your even on Mars to... Uh, free music ed. Free music ed. <laughs> <laughs> or just free music ed at gmail.com. So the mother tongue method is like this. The students listen and observe. That's step one. Then step two is they imitate. You know, so you, you watch the video of Suzuki teaching Jingle Bells and he is taking his bow and he's going... Yeah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm imitating right now. I'm, I'm acting out playing violin, which apparently violins make a yah, yah, yah sound. But he takes it's here a Japanese and he, violin. He makes, the, <laughs> he makes the sound, and the kids all try to imitate it, right? And there can be like 30 kids in there doing this at the same time. Uh, and he works it out bit by bit and teaches it by rote. And the kids are incredibly successful with this type of thing because you're teaching this one concept of imitating and making this sound. Okay, so after they imitate it, you want to praise and recognize that they're learning an important skill. Hey, you're doing a good job. That sounds good. You know, uh, and now we're going to repeat. So praise and repeat. Right? Now we're going to do it a million more times. Because we've got to build up those muscles in your arm. We've got to build those connections in your brain. And through that constant repetition, it becomes easy. Which leads them to mastery, which is the Mm -hmm. next step. And then after that, then they learn how to read it. Mm -hmm. Okay? So you listen and observe. You imitate. You praise the student on what they're doing, and you make them repeat it a bunch until they master it, and then they learn how to read it. That's what comes next, because reading is a different type of skill. Which, again, think about how you learned how to speak. People weren't like, all right, child, it's time for you to learn to say the word cat. So they hold up the letters to spell the word cat, and they go, okay, say that word, and point to it. Right? You, you wouldn't do that. It wouldn't teach a kid anything. Uh, same thing with whenever you say, this is your mother, and the child goes, Mama. You don't go, No, child. You don't say Mama. You say Mother. And, you know, you, you don't do that. You're like, Yay, good job. You know, mm-hmm. you're, yeah. you're trying to do this word. And eventually the kid corrects the word uh, to Mother mm-hmm. on their own. Same type of idea for teaching music. And that's why he wanted to start students when they were like four to six years old. Same thing as what we've been talking about before. Uh, about whenever you start building those musical aptitudes. Mm-hmm. That type of exposure there. Yeah. Uh, and so there is a Suzuki Association 
Uh, and you can go to their website. I think it's suzukiassociation.org. Yes. That would make sense. Uh-huh. And you can read all about it because this is a thing that's going on, of course, all over the world. Uh, and some of their main principles, number one, is that every child can learn. There's mm-hmm. not children that can't learn. You know, some may go faster than others. Some may go slower than others. But every student can learn. But no child left behind. Uh, anyway, that's that's a different principle. Thank you, President Bush. <laughs> okay, so uh, also they heavily, heavily get parents involved. Ooh. So if your child is learning through the Suzuki method, you will be going and learning too. At least one of the parents will be learning the instrument as well because the parent serves as a teacher in between. So, uh, you know, your student will take and they'll usually have a group lesson and a private lesson. So they get all the students in the group and the teacher also gets private time with each student so that they can have the group experience and benefits and the individual lessons to help. And then the parent teaches them throughout the week to reinforce that practice. Because what do kids want to do? Well, they want to do what their parents are doing. Mm-hmm. When I was yeah. a little kid, I wanted to mow the yard so bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've changed my mind. Yeah, that's what I say. That's right. Okay. <laughs> uh, they emphasize starting early. Those early years are so important for learning. Uh, they make the children listen a lot. Right? So when mm-hmm. a children's learning to speak, they hear words hundreds of times before they try to say them. Mm-hmm. Well, these students need to be hearing someone play their instrument. They need to be hearing their teachers. They need to be hearing their parent. They need to be hearing recordings. Mm-hmm. Uh, repetition, they do a lot of, because uh, it's just a fact of life. It doesn't always seem fun, but that's how you get better at things. Okay. Encouragement, just like with language, when a kid learns a new word, the family freaks out. Whoa, Jimmy's so <laughs> smart, he said dog. Okay, right? They, they do that. Uh, learning with other children is very important. So in addition to having a private lesson, they think it's very important to have group lessons and see your peers learning as well. A graded repertoire, so instead of lots of boring exercises... We're going to learn to play a song, mm-hmm. right? It's very, very important that we learn and get better by playing music because that's what we're here to do. Mm-hmm. And yes, an exercise may help you out. And at a certain maturity level, it may be time to work on certain exercises. But as we're starting students and learning, we're going to learn music. And then finally, delayed reading. Really, really important, like we talked about earlier. The last thing the students learn how to do is read the music for what they're doing. Just like when you're learning to speak. And this is so foreign to so many people who like teach band and orchestra and school programs. Because from day one, they're like trying to get the students to read notation. And I know I've personally found that to not be as effective as doing some really great, uh, great teaching as far as getting the kids to make their sounds, getting the kids to play some songs and to learn their first few notes before you ever introduce notation. Mm-hmm. And I introduce it earlier because my students are in sixth grade. But in fourth grade, you might go, uh, sorry, when you're four, you may go years before you ever look at any type of notation. Mm-hmm. It's very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Now, which music notation would be pretty complex for a four-year-old. Goodness gracious. Well, <laughs> some four-year-olds can't read. Yeah, I mean, they're, just, they're working on just English or whatever language yeah. they may be That's reading. right. I'm not Could racist. be any language. Well, most, most of the people we're talking to right now probably speak English. Uh, yeah, and if they don't, this is really confusing. I know. <laughs> Why'd you even click on this podcast? They're, they're sitting there mocking us right now. And they've now. made it this far. I know. I know. <laughs> it's crazy. They're a year in and they're still going, I don't get any of this. <laughs> I feel like we should say something special to people who don't speak English. We're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever translate this, it probably wasn't worth your time. Je suis désolé. Oh. 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 You said a thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of that kind of wraps up what these different types of things are. Mm-hmm. Um, the really important. Like you, I mean, if you haven't heard of Kodai and Suzuki, uh, you you're probably not a music educator, and I can't imagine why you're listening to this podcast. Right. <laughs> but uh, if you're like me, before I did this, I really hadn't 
researched a lot into exactly what was going into this. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's some really important information. Uh, I mean, like, it's really valuable. And these guys, they were revolutionary at their time. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of programs, doing this type of stuff would be revolutionary now. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, I, th- I think one of the big mistakes that we're making in music education right now is that uh, we go through classes and we learn about all these old people like Suzuki and Kodai and you know Bartok and stuff like that. Bartok, he was a, he didn't he was in the children's education, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I okay. Um, and so we hear about those guys, but we just kind of discard the information. We, don't, we decide not to use it. And instead, we come into music education just doing what the guys before us did. Ooh, so go, many people teach this. Just must like be the right way about. because you know this school of thought is the way to go. And my my. Eyes are turning towards Midland, Odessa, because <laughs> there there has been this old school way of doing things that started out there. That some of those guys who started are, are still teaching there, and that was one of Terry's uh, directors. Whenever Terry first started directing, he was working yeah. underneath one of these guys. Mm-hmm. They had this set way of doing things. You got to have this mouthpiece. You've got to have this instrument. You've got to have this and this and this. And so many other people have adopted it that it's just kind of become this gospel. And there's lots of it. I mean, I, I use that just as an example only. But people just kind of latch on to it because, well, this is the way it was done before. And so this is the gospel of how to teach music. And it's like, ah, no. Well, you know, there's all sorts of things going on everywhere. And really, uh, there's so much emphasis in education to keep on trying to get better at your craft all the time. Mm -hmm. To get better at teaching music. And as soon as you stop and go, well, I figured it all out. This is the way to do it. Uh, is the day you should retire and quit or something. Because if you're not growing and trying to get better, the kids deserve better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Boom. Drop the mic. To piggyback off what you're saying, I think the other mistake that we're making, um, and it's something that you could draw from this podcast as an educator, is that we we see these old school methods that aren't working anymore, and we try to develop new methods. Um, And oftentimes I've seen, I've done this, is in trying to develop a new method, you end up imitating a Suzuki method or a Kadai method and reinventing the wheel. Um, and really, I think the first step we need to do in that realm is just simply look back at methods that already exist that we're not using. Well, you know, you what's, know? what's difficult is that you can't pick up a textbook and understand how to teach the Suzuki method. Right, yeah, You can't understand how to teach by rote without going and experiencing that in some way. Mm-hmm. And if that's not what you're familiar with, then, I mean, there's training out there. Like, there's people that will train you in these different methods, mm-hmm. and there's really good directors and really good teachers all over the place doing this type of thing. But a lot of being a good teacher, you really need to see another teacher do it. Uh, which is something I'm trying to do better this year, and that's take advantage of like all district and all region events where they pull in this clinician who's really good, and they rehearse students they've never met for you know eight hours, and they put on a concert in the evening. Like go watch that stuff because there's cool things going on, mm-hmm. you know. Or go go watch, I mean, find a really good teacher and go watch them because uh, that's way better than what you can learn just from reading about it. And there's lots of those resources on the internet. You can watch Bernstein lectures. Um, you can watch Harvard. Teachers teach music. You can you can watch you can watch Suzuki. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I went and watched a few. You know, there's a really great, uh, really great documentary on YouTube. I'll try to link to it if I can remember. I probably yeah. won't, uh, but just go to YouTube. Type in uh, type in his name, and it was like narrated by kids. Like it sounded like it was a class project or something, but it was so good. Really, like really, just kind of went over his whole life. You know, kind of nifty. Yeah. Are there people like? Uh, in the states 
who are what well, I don't know what Suzuki you would call certified. That's the word I'm looking for. Suzuki certified. They can yeah. train you oh, yeah. into teaching Suzuki and stuff oh, like that. Absolutely, absolutely. Now uh, Suzuki method, uh, like because it comes like the method. On its whole, like we talk about the principles behind it, but there's obviously a lot of literature and a lot of paperwork and things behind it too. There's different things they want you to do with parent meetings and with bringing in those parents and different things. Like it's a whole collection of materials, not just those concepts we talked about. Mm -hmm. Uh, So really look up the Suzuki Association and find out what to do because they do certify people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've seen people with Suzuki certification uh, and it's great. You know, usually it's violin instructors. But I understand they also have a Suzuki method for a number of other instruments, including like piano and yeah. uh, flute and recorder and different things like that. No saxophone. I'll get on that. You can be the first saxophone Suzuki teacher. That could be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll be the first. If, if they all sound like violinists, I'll win. <laughs> <laughs> you get a world record for that. That's, that's right. Uh, I'll work on it. So, uh, Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. That's that's it. That's that's yeah. all that we know about these topics. Mm-hmm. Do um, some more research if you're interested in it. That's right. Hey, there's this new thing. Uh, it's called Google. The and Googles. You you go you go to a a web browser machine, <laughs> and you type into the search bar. Uh, it's this thing up at the top. Uh, it could be an address bar depending on your internet browser machine, and you type in Google, and it'll get you to the Google, or maybe you'll be in Google already. But type things into the that. The fancy ones do the Googles first. They do the Google when you type it in the thing? Yeah, it's yeah. insane. You, it's true. Okay. Uh, all joking aside, uh, of course, you know, everybody knows how to Google. But if you find out we did something incredibly wrong in this podcast, or you have something you want us to research and talk about, or um, you have a cool story to tell, or uh, I don't know, anything else. Drive up to to. to That's right. You have to drive here. Stephen Cox's address. <laughs> okay, is. so uh, if you'll email us at freemusiced at gmail dot com, uh, we will probably consider emailing you back. Yeah, we'll at least consider it. But hey, episode ideas. Yeah, we'd yeah, love absolutely. some. We've got a list, but uh, great stories that you may have. Yeah, yeah, like what yeah. Stephen was saying. It'd be fun. We'll we'll read it on the air, uh, and then if it if it sounds really good when we're just standing outside and saying it in the air, we'll record it. <laughs> and a podcast too yeah a couple channels to get through but you might make it that's right yeah. it could be good uh we did that once we responded to a listener once did you know we had listeners no i did not that's amazing <laughs> i had no idea cool? at least one i thought okay. the listeners were these microphones that's right it's <laughs> true it's true they read so uh you guys have an amazing week and more important than anything else keep practicing guys yes yeah, keep practicing don't ever stop that later guys